Welcome to the Marigold Effect Podcast. When you listen to this podcast, we hope you feel hopeful and encouraged. We hope you feel challenged to learn and grow. We hope you feel connected. We hope we make you laugh. So sit back, listen, and enjoy. I'm Katie Borbina. I'm Michelle Williamson, and this is the Marigold Effect Podcast. Hi, Katie. Hi, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How about you? It's March. I cannot believe it. Like coming up on a year since the pandemic hit and we initially closed down for a few weeks. So I think time is such a funny thing for me on some level. It seems very, very long ago, but yet at times it feels like it was just like yesterday. Yeah, I hear you. I, th- I mean, I think time feels like an illusion, really. It's it's hard to think about a whole year passing since all this started, but in lots of ways, it's gone by so quickly. Um, there are days that just run together, and some days it feels like the millionth day of the pandemic. I think it's really related for me to life slowing down so much. So pre-pandemic, I was just moving so fast. I feel like I I couldn't catch a breath Mm -hmm. sometimes. But since last March, our lives have slowed down so, so much. I feel like I've learned how to savor time more and really appreciate time more. Um, There's definitely a separation now, though, for for time. Things that happened before the pandemic and everything that's happened since. That feels like a really big demarcation in in the time span there. Um, Well, I found that link that takes you through some exercises about how you interpret time. And I've just found it really interesting and I'll post it on the, on the webpage, but part of it, they were talking about like, there's not one single organ or system in our body that is responsible for timekeeping, which I thought was kind of interesting, Mm -hmm. the whole process of how we, um, absorb time or how we judge time is all subjective. Um, so like what it does is, and I know you've looked at it, so like mm-hmm. it makes you look at a group of uh, shapes or objects for periods of time, and then you have to determine which were shorter, longer, or the same. Um, and then in one exercise, they showed you a series of circles and there were these concentric squares. Um, and the images passed at the same rate, but it seemed like the squares lasted longer. And they talked about that this is based on research where if there's repetition of things, mm-hmm. we don't need additional time to process that. So when something is new, it seems like it lasts longer, but it actually doesn't. And so they were comparing that to these repetition of days during the pandemic. So like when it seems that it hasn't been that long, it's because our repetition like we're in a groove now, like we don't even recognize it. Like in yeah. the beginning, it seemed really different, but now it's like, eh, you know, whatever. This is what I do every day. Um, we're not processing novel events or things. So it just seems like it passes quickly. Yeah. Um, like when you look at the calendar and it's like, oh yeah, it's it's been a year. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I thought those exercises were very interesting. Um, I was particularly bad at estimating when different life events have happened. Like the one item that asked us to estimate, I think it was the Olympic games when they were held in London, which was 2012, by the way, I thought that happened so much longer ago. So that was, that was interesting. It was hard for me to estimate some of those things. I am horrible at estimating when things occur. To remember how I always think I've only been in early childhood for five yeah. years. Like it's only like, like this is this can't be your fifth year. No, I've only been here five years, and it's been like fifteen years. Right, like early childhood. I just I really really suck at that. So, 
But anyway, yeah. check it out. It's interesting. Kind of, it gives you a new way to look at how we we perceive time. So. Yeah, yeah. Great article. Great, yeah. great little quiz. So, so Michelle, as we approach a full year of living through this pandemic, what are the things you find that are still filling your cup right now? Um. So recently, I started my seeds for indoor. Uh, indoors um, for hmm. planting in my garden. You know our interview with Holly Miller. Got yeah. Out. Do you have loofah? Did you did you plant some? Loofah oh seeds? yeah, we got some loofah. Actually, oh, I have. Uh, I planted eight, and I have seven plants. Wow. Yep. I stepped up my game this year. I purchased a heating mat and grow lights. Oh goodness, um, you're serious. I, we are very serious. Um, yep. um, and so I've actually some of them sprouted. So I had to transplant them into a different pot. So I had my hands in dirt and yeah. I don't know, it felt good. And every morning, you know, I tend to my plants as I'm drinking my coffee. And so um, it's nice. I like it. It's, it's been, it's been really good for me. What about you? Yeah. Nature for me too has been so important. And actually I used to really not understand people that enjoyed watching the birds. I just thought it was kind of stupid to be honest. I am loving watching birds now. And I'm, I guess, I mean, part of that has to do with time slowing down, but we purchased a bird feeder and I just, I could stare for hours at the birds out the window and just get really mesmerized by that. So I've enjoyed that. And, um, and also just walks in the snow this winter, I have snow pants, I have boots and we walk every day, snow, ice, no matter what I have my poles and, um, it's just been beautiful. I've just appreciated nature and appreciated winter in a really different way this year. So, and I would also add cross stitching. That's the final thing filling my cup. I am not a crafty person. I am not into like the needle arts, but, um, I found a beginner's cross stitch kit. And again, it's something that takes me away from devices and holding my phone. So, um, I really get into like a meditative state when I'm cross stitching. So, yeah, no, that, that stuff is good. That's what I liked about knitting. Like you and just sort of like kind of a muscular memory thing that keeps you sort of in a meditative state. Yeah. And I try not to be competitive and compare myself to my daughter who has taught herself to crochet in the last few weeks and is crocheting these amazing projects and knitting and needle pointing. And I just show my little cross stitch, but that that's okay. I'm, okay. I'm good with it. I'm happy for her. Are she's going to cross awesome. the marigold for us. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. I'm working on a rainbow right now, Okay, but maybe a marigold next. Yeah. Maybe we can work up to a marigold. Um, yeah. Well, that's great. <laughs> um, so as I said in our last episode, season two, we're devoting to issues of equity. And last month we talked about conducting a literacy audit. So. Yeah. Yeah. I've been seeing some really nice examples of diverse classroom libraries and our preschool rooms and hearing from some teachers who put out new books that were more representative of the races of the children in their classrooms that they've noticed that kids are really selecting those books and looking at them more and engaging with them and very interested in them. So, yeah. Um, it's yep. been cool. I think one thing we really want to do is help our friends at the Oaks Acorn Village. If you remember our interview with Pastor Boone back in November, um, we want to help them build their collection of more racially diverse children. So in the edgy newsletter, we'll be putting out a wish list of some books for this location and asking if people would be willing to donate a book or two to this great new center. That's great. Yeah, that would be wonderful. So that will be coming out in the, in the newsletter. Um, in this episode, we will be discussing the importance of what is in a name. 
and being able to say our students' names correctly and let them know that we truly see them. We're also going to discuss how our dramatic play materials in our classroom reflect or do not reflect our students' cultures and lived experiences. Um, so I'd like you to talk about the activity you presented to us in our ECSE staff meeting on the importance of names. Yeah, yeah. I read a great article um, on name-based microaggressions. So um, I'm going to read a quote from the article. I just want to share because I th- thought this was really powerful. But um, the article, which we'll link in the show notes on the site, said names are prominent identifiers that can often tell the story of one's ethnicity, cultural background, and familial lineage. There's a tendency for white European names and whiteness in general to be perceived as normative, whereas racial minorities with names of religious and ethnic origins may be seen as an inconvenience. This can result in experiences of discrimination and ostracism. So I, I just really thought that was important for us to think about and to reflect about. Um, you know, some examples of name-based microaggressions would be, you know, assigning unwanted nicknames to students or assumptions and biases about an individual based on their names, um, teasing from peers about um, a name that is unique or different. So, so part of the activity was sharing the stories of our names with each other and our own identities and how important that is and what that feels like for all of us. Yeah. Right. So it made me think about the story of my names. I had to actually call my mom because I wasn't sure. Um, So, you know, my parents are not Beatles fans, but their song, uh, Michelle, was released in 1965, which is when the year I was born. But I was born in October and it was released in December. So it really wasn't from that song. My mom Hmm. was like, no, we weren't. We were not Beatles fans. (laughs) And I'm like, so where did she, you hear? And she's like, I probably on TV. She's like, I, I don't know. Yeah. But, um, what was really interesting as we talked is we talked about how middle names are very important in our family. Like those mm. are really the mm-hmm. ones that you are named after people um, or a place or something. So my middle name is Joanne and it's in recognition of my grandmother's sister. Um, mm. And they uh, actually helped my parents out a lot when they were first married. They lived with them. Wow. So, um, but it also made me think about uh, Avery's name. Like, how mm-hmm. did we come up with that? And um, so, you know, I thought of all kinds of names, and you know, we try to think of a name that wouldn't become a horrible nickname. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, <laughs> I loved the name Greer, and a very good yeah. friend cautioned me. She's like. <gasps> you cannot use Greer. It'll be Greer, Greer. You got a big Greer, Greer, Greer. Your moms are queer. And I was like, I think the look on my face was like, oh my God, I was horrified that she came up with those so quickly. And right. She looked at me and she's like, yeah, I know I was that kid. I'm not proud of it, but I'm just telling you. So she became like my filter for every name. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really did make me think about the impact of someone taking your name and using it to persecute you or make you feel less than or dismissing your name completely. Um, and I wanted our child's name to represent something about our family. So we decided on Avery Quinn, which was considered gender neutral mm-hmm. and as same sex parents, that was important to us. And our ethnicities were Cornish, Scottish, and English. So we wanted names with Gaelic origins. So now Avery loves to tell you that her name means ruling with elf wisdom or her favorite ruler of the elves. So that's mm. what, and it really, that's what many books say that that is the the meaning of her name is that she's the ruler of elves so i love that name and i never knew that meaning that's so cool yeah how fun 
Well, I can relate to the worrying about nicknames. I, um, when I was pregnant, I liked the name Maddie, Mm -hmm. but someone pointed out to me that could easily become fatty Maddie. Mm -hmm. So I steered clear of that. Um, and my, my mother named me Catherine Elizabeth. She wanted me to have a formal name, but I've been Katie since the day I was born. And, um, that was her name for me. And, um, she said it was because she never met a Katie she didn't like. So, um, my name was actually a really important part of me developing my identity as a second grader. Um, I actually told my teacher that year, I wanted to be called Catherine for part of the year. And then I changed it to Kate and I made formal announcements to the whole class. Like this wasn't just the teacher. It was like, everyone, I just want you to know from now on, I want you to call me Kate. And they did. Um, But I just remember how respectful my teacher was about this. Um, She didn't question it. She she went right with it, um, which made me feel so great. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important for us to think about this and you know, to ask ourselves, how are we using our students' names? Mm -hmm. How often do we call our students by their names? And how about their families? Do we remember families' names? And do we call them by names when we talk with them? Mm -hmm. Do we seek out the correct pronunciation when we're not sure how to say a student family or name? And um, so those are just some things I think um, are seemingly simple, but important, important things to people. Yeah, I I often will get very nervous and anxious when we get new referrals because we have to call them and, you know, you're having to depend on your knowledge of the word. So um, I've, do, I've decided to do some prep work before I call them. So I, I make an effort. Um, I ask others around me if they're familiar with the name. Um, I also use a website, which is pronouncednames.com to help you with the, the Oh, cool. Yeah, it's really been it's been helpful. And, um, you know, our Jennifer Gonzalez, who has the podcast cult of the pedagogy, which kind of inspired the name of our podcast. Mm-hmm. She had one where she talked about, there's like three types of name mispronouncers. So that's what she calls them. And, you know, one is those who fumble over the name seem apologetic, but yet, um, feel at fault for mispronouncing, but they don't change or whatever. Um, and then you have those who just assume their pronunciation is correct and they've just barred your head with their own version and they, they don't even ask if it's correct. And then the last one is those who recognize getting a name correct will require effort and continue to fine tune their pronunciation of a name as it goes on. Um, and it's sort of that group, she says, we want to be in. We want to be in the ones who are making an effort to say the name correctly. Yeah. Um, and we've learned to do that with so many different people, you know, like they give an example of Arnold Schwarzenegger or Renee Zellweger, you know, we have learned mm-hmm. to say their names. And so when we want to make an effort, we can definitely, we can do that. Um, so anyway, I thought your, I thought the exercise was, was great. And um, it has really made me very aware of being respectful of people's names. Thank you. I'm so yeah. glad. Yeah. It's been something I've been trying to be really conscious of too, since we talked about it. So the other thing that we wanted to talk about was the, liter- you know, we talked about the literacy audit earlier, but now we're kind of moving into that dramatic player home area. And this is also a very crucial part of the classroom to reflect on the students that you have, their diversity and their culture. Um, I'm just going to focus on two particular areas of dramatic play that I see in the classrooms, which are like usually around food, 
um, or jabs. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, families eat so many different types of food. Uh, If you're not aware of the foods your students eat, I would just ask them what their favorite meal is or ask the parents. And, you know, having different things like beans or salsa or tortillas or different types of greens, et cetera, like all those things that families use in their kitchen, um, having the correct labels is important. And maybe, you know, being sure that we are reflective of what our students see on an, on an everyday basis. Mm, I love that idea. I love the idea of incorporating family's favorite foods into the dramatic play area and without judgment. I mean, just I've heard conversations where we can say some things about like what's packed in the lunch bag or what's in the snack bag. And let's just put that aside and have respect for what families eat. Yeah, I actually one of my vivid memories of a kid is one about a a friend being judged about what food she ate. So um, when I think I was in first grade and then we were learning about different groups of food, I think. And the teacher asked us what we had for breakfast that day. And my neighbor, Melissa, was seated next to me and Melissa's family um, were Mennonites. So, you know, their dress and beliefs were often mocked by others in our community. And when it was Melissa's turn to answer, she said that she had a hamburger for breakfast. And some of the students laughed and the teacher um, just blatantly said a hamburger is not breakfast food. And I will never forget the look on Melissa's face because Melissa was always, always, always happy. And uh, you you just saw her face fall. There was embarrassment, shame, and tears. And I just, I mean, it just struck me, um, you know, and what we sometimes are not even aware that we're doing. And, And when Avery was little, so one of her favorite foods was mac and cheese. And my mom used to make it now. In our family, um, mac and cheese was made with the Velveeta, which I understand is usually not in a group of food that people find nutritious. Um, but that was like, she wouldn't want it any other way. And so mm-hmm. they had something similar when she was in school. And um, she said, I want mac and cheese with Velveeta. And the person, the teacher's like, that is not good for you. And she came home and said, I was made fun of because of what I wanted. And, you know, I mean, people can have their opinions about what's healthy or what's not healthy, but I think what she took away from that is what she did was wrong or what she liked was not normal or healthy or, you know, so um, yeah, I totally agree. Like the judgment about food is, is easy to do. Yeah. Well, and you know, let's, let's get the full story sometimes. I mean, we have students that um, will eat very specific foods. And so sometimes I see judgment around like, oh, they packed this again. And, um, and, you know, let's, let's really just honor what families are feeding their children and, and sometimes ask if they, you know, if they want or need any help with some of those choices, but not judge them for sure. And let's be honest, people, you're all hiding something in your cupboards that, oh, yeah. You you do not want other people to know that you eat. So that's right. That's um, right. And the other thing that we do in our dramatic play areas is we often do different types of like community helpers. Mm -hmm. And so we often see post offices or we see doctor's offices or vet clinics. 
Um, and I was thinking, why are why don't we try to do some of the jobs that our students, caregivers um, have that we know yes. about? Yes. Um, you know, not many of our students have caregivers that are doctors or postal carriers. Um, so like, could we consider direct care workers or food establishment types of jobs or like factory types of jobs, mm-hmm. mechanics, lawn and gardener, garden workers? Like I remember this little boy, he had very little words, but he would talk up a storm if you brought out a lawnmower or any kind of gardening equipment because his his parents ran a service, a lawn service. So he was like thrilled if any of that came out and his language would like just increase twofold. So I think their, you know, their caregivers and their parents are talking about these jobs at home. These are things that they hear. Um, So I just, I wonder what it'd be like to sort of broaden that. Yeah. What a fantastic point you're making here. Yeah. I think it could be so fun to just mix it up a bit and have our dramatic play centers actually reflect the lives of students and the work that their families are doing. Um, we, we get, I mean, we have some of the same things we've been doing for a long time in dramatic play. So this could just be so fun and, and really, um, expose kids to lots of different types of work and community helpers that are more reflective of their own communities. Yeah. So if, if you guys make some changes to your library or your dramatic play or home area, we would love you to share that with us. Um, and we would love to share it here in the podcast, or if we could put it in the newsletter or anything that you guys are doing, um, we like to let other people know. So um, yeah, just let us know. Well, if you stay tuned, you're going to get another segment of a getting to know you and it's a two for one bonus. You get two people. So, um, stay tuned for that. And of course, stay tuned for Katie's, um, song dedication. Um, until then, um, take care of yourself, Katie. Hope you have a good rest of the week. You too. We'll see you guys later. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Welcome to our second segment of Getting to Know You on the Marigold Effect podcast. You're getting a two-for-one this time. Bonus, we're pleased to introduce to you Zima Crowder and Ellen DeSorbo, who are speech pathologists in our early childhood programs. And I've had the pleasure of actually working with both of these fabulous women during summer diagnostics, so I cannot wait for everyone else to hear from them. Yes. Thank you both so much for agreeing to do this today. We're just delighted to have you here. And for those of you that have not met Zima or Ellen, we are just really, really lucky to have them working in our agency and in our programs. You've just brought such a nice, new, fresh energy to our program. So we're excited that you're here. Thank you. So first, we just like each of you to kind of give an overview of your position and responsibilities. So Ellen, why don't you start us off? Sure. Yep. So I'm Ellen DeSorbo. Um, As mentioned, I'm a speech and language pathologist. So we work on uh, our students with their speech and language development. Um, So by speech, I mean their ability to uh, speak in a way that's easily understood and produce their speech sounds correctly. And then we also do a lot of work as far as language development, um, which is geared more towards teaching our students to be effective communicators and um, Things like speaking in sentences, following directions, answering questions, stuff like that. Um, And I work with all ages. I have from preschool all the way through high school. So I have a lot of different um, age groups that I work with. Um, Over to you, Zima. Yeah, Zima. Your turn. (laughs) So um, 
Yeah, basically everything that, that Ellen said, we work on speech and language development. Um, and I do the same um, in two ECSE classrooms and then LBSE classrooms as well. So it's a lot of fun. I have anywhere from pre-K to about sixth grade. All right. Well, thank you both. I can personally say you speech pathologists are always in demand. We're always trying to find a speech pathologist to help us out. So we're thankful that you're here. Well, I get to lead, I think, with the first question for both of you, which we love to hear about from our getting to know you guest. And that is, what's your why? So I'd love to hear from you first, Ellen, about what is your why? What keeps you coming to work every day? And why do you do this work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I feel like in regards to speech therapy, I love working with students on communication just because I feel like communication is just such a massive part of what makes us human and gives our life purpose and fulfillment. I mean, look at us right now, we're communicating and having fun and laughing and without the ability to do that, um, I don't know, life is kind of lackluster. So I really, really um, find it fulfilling to work with students uh, to take steps towards having those positive communication experiences, um, especially for students that are used to communication being something that they really struggle with and something that's very difficult for them. So like, there's no really better feeling in the world than being able to make some of these communication breakthroughs with our students. Like, for example, I have a student who is a third grader and he communicates primarily using an AAC device. And just recently, like we, his mom told me that he has like a PlayStation 5 and a Nintendo Switch and a VR headset. And I was like, well, let's program all that stuff into your device. So now he can talk about all of those things that he's really interested in, which he never could talk about before. And just to see his, the way his face lights up when he's able to actually mm-hmm. talk about things he wants to talk about, is just the most incredible feeling. So I really live for moments like that. Yeah, those moments that we get to witness that are those firsts for students are so exciting. That's so cool. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Zima? What's your why? What keeps you coming to work every day and why do you do this work? Yeah, it's a lot of uh, along the same line as Ellen, really, you know, kind of she was mentioning if we tried to do this podcast without any communication, there would be no podcast. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, so we want to give the kids that voice, you know, there's a lot of times as humans, we want to be understood. We want to be heard. We want to have that human connection. It's something that's kind of in our DNA to want to have that relationship with other people. And communication is a big part of that. So, um, you know, we want to give children the opportunity to to have a voice, to be heard, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's thoughts, ideas, wants, desires, feelings. It's all something that, you know, we we want to share. And so we want to give those kids a voice that, and that's definitely my why, you know, and it really breaks my heart when I see a kid that um, is just really frustrated because they can't Mm -hmm. communicate what they want and they know in their heart and in their mind what what it is they want to say, but they don't necessarily have the skills quite yet to do it. And so we want to provide them the opportunity to do that. Mm. Yeah. I love what you say about giving voice to children. I think that's what an amazing gift that you are both giving to, to our students. Definitely. So we do have some other questions that I think are equally as important as your why. So one of what I'm dying to know, Ziva, is what what is one of your hidden talents that might surprise your coworkers? 
<laughs> you know, so I was I was trying to think about this and I even asked my husband, I was like, what are my hidden talents? <laughs> I was like, I feel so boring, but um, I thought of a couple. I don't know if they're that cool, but um, if you don't know, I am Hispanic, so I do speak Spanish. Hablo Espanol. Mm -hmm. um so that's that's something that i have i have tried to recently learn french Ooh. je m'appelle zima oh. <laughs> so i am trying to learn some french i'm not definitely not fluent but um i oh. am trying to learn that i'm always impressed with people if you can learn another language yeah yeah <laughs> so ellen what about your hidden talent yeah, well, I was trying to think about this. I mean, honestly, the big one that comes to mind is, so I think some of my coworkers know this and some don't, but I actually do videography. I do a, a lot of um, like video stuff as well. I do a lot of like wedding videos over the summer, but I also, I've done like some branding and like business videos. And then, so my husband actually, um, he plays in a band and I've shot some just cool. like music videos for his band before too so it's just this other like skill set that I have that doesn't really have much overlap with speech therapy but I love both of them and it, it makes me feel really good to have like a creative outlet there as well yeah so I'm a little afraid that Barbina's I'm getting some like ideas totally lit up when I heard video oh well, yes I'm getting some I, ideas <laughs> we can use these hidden talents oh, for some yeah really cool things I, I figured I would offer. I was like, I don't know if you guys want me to make some sort of cool video for no. like the edgy no. task force Ooh, or something. No. Oh, yes. No. Yes, Michelle says no. Well, I'm going to tell you what, like this is the perfect pairing because if you listeners have not seen Zima's videos that she does for our communication club, which is our yeah. Zoom classroom, she is like a PBS superstar. Like she could have her own show. And so Ellen... I feel like you could be the videographer and Zima could yeah. make these amazing videos. You guys, <laughs> you guys are an excellent team, but I love the idea of maybe doing something with our edgy task force. So that's a cool idea. Whatever, whatever you need us to do. Just put it uh, for, but. Okay. That's Fun. just a, a rabbit hole that I don't even want to go down. <laughs> 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 um, moving on. So Ellen, what is something people often get wrong about you? You know, I was thinking about this and I had a hard time coming up with an answer other than my age because everyone always thinks I'm way younger than I am. Yeah. Um, full disclosure, I just turned 30. Mm. 30. I am 30 years old, but I'll tell you what, like every time that I'm walking around the high school, I always get weird looks and they think I'm a student wandering around where I don't belong. And <laughs> like even even the other day, I you know, I was um in a room preparing to see my speech therapy students and a teacher walked in. And he was like, Oh, I heard I heard there was someone wandering around here who shouldn't be. And I'm like, Nope. <laughs> just me I'm, I'm a speech therapist <laughs> I promise like so I think people especially with masks on um people always think I'm way younger than I am but other than that um I feel like I'm a pretty transparent person I don't have a lot of uh things that people get wrong about me necessarily okay well happy 30th birthday yeah. well thanks it was uh, not my favorite one but it's okay <laughs> Miles it gets down. better it totally yeah. you're you're on <laughs> it's fine yeah yeah um, Zima, what do people get wrong about you? So I think what people get most wrong about me is that I'm very shy and reserved and quiet, mm -hmm. which I am at the very beginning. But once I get comfortable, mm. I can see that. What would, you, 
so much for um, doing this. We really appreciate it. We know you guys are super busy, so we definitely appreciate the time you took out of your day to to help us do this. Yeah. So um, it was great talking to both of you guys, and I hope you have um, a good rest of the week. I hope you have a good rest of the year. I look forward to uh, working with you guys uh, even more. I don't know who, I know this summer I might be there, so I don't know who gets to be the lucky one this summer to work with me. Yay. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> We'll, we'll do a raffle. That's what we'll do. <laughs> so. Thank you both so much. We appreciate you. Appreciate everything that you do. So thanks for being with us today. All right. Of course. It was really fun. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. All right. Take care, guys. <laughs> Bye. Uh-huh. Bye. We started this episode by talking about time. It's been a year since the schools closed last March and all of our lives were upended. This feels like an anniversary that cannot go unacknowledged. So many things have changed this year. In a way, the time has passed quickly, but some days run together and I find myself feeling like it's the millionth day of the pandemic. For this episode, my song dedication for all of you is called Who Knows Where the Time Goes, performed by Eva Cassidy. I want to acknowledge what a hard year it has been for all of us. There is no one, no child, no staff member, no family that has not had their lives impacted by the dramatic changes required of us over the past year. And so, once again, I want to thank you and express my sincere gratitude for the way that you have all adapted and adjusted. Until next time, friends, be a miracle.